Section 54 of England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sonia as the narrator. Alan Mapstone as Sir John Falstaff. Thomas Peter as Prince Hal and King Henry V. Monica as host. Jim Locke as Warwick. Adrian Stevens as Chief Justice. Todd as Lancaster. Sarah Hill as Gloucester. And Sandra Schmidt as Clarence. The World Story, Volume 9, England, edited by Eva March Tappan, Section 54. Two Scenes in the Life of Henry V, by William Shakespeare. According to tradition, Henry V in his youthful days as Prince Hell was wild and riotous. His favorite boon companion was Sir John Falstaff, a lying, heart-drinking, good-tempered, witty old knight. When Prince Hal became king, however, the responsibility of his position sobered him, and he became an able and energetic sovereign. The Editor 1. When Falstaff Played the King, 1403 Well... Thou wilt be horribly chid to-morrow when thou comes to thy father. If thou love me, practice an answer. Do thou stand for my father, and examine me upon the particulars of my life. Shall I? Content. This chair shall be my state. This dagger my sceptre. And this cushion... My crown. Thy stage is taken for a joined stool, thy golden sceptre for a leaden dagger, and thy precious rich crown for a pitiful bald crown. Well, and the fire of grace be not quite out of thee, thou shalt be moved. Give me a cup of sack to make my eyes look red, that it may be thought that I have wept, for I must speak in passion. And I will do it in King Cambus's vein. Well, here is my leg. And here is my speech. Stand aside, nobility. Oh, cheese, this is excellent sport, I fave. Weep not, sweet queen, for trickling tears are vain. Oh, the father, how he hides his countenance. For God's sake, lords, convey my tristful queen. For tears do stop the floodgates of her eyes. Oh, cheese, he doth it as like one of these harlotry players as ever I see. Peace, good pint pot. Peace, good tickle brain. Harry. I do not only marvel where thou spendest thy time, but also how thou art accompanied. For though the chamomile, the more it is trodden on, the faster it grows, yet youth, the more it is wasted, the sooner it wears. That thou art my son, I have partly thy mother's word, Partly my own opinion, but chiefly a villainous trick in thine eye. 
and a foolish hanging of thy nether lip that doth warrant me if then thou be son to me here lies the point why being son to me art thou so pointed at shall the blessed son of heaven prove a milcher and eat blackberries a question not to be asked shall the son of england prove a thief and take purses a question to be asked there is a thing harry which thou hast often heard of and it is known to many in our land by the name of pitch this pitch as ancient writers do report doth defile so doth the company thou keepest for harry now i do not speak to thee in drink but in tears not in pleasure but in passion not in words only but in woes also and yet there is a virtuous man who i have often noted in thy company but i know not his name what manner of men and it like your majesty a goodly portly man e faith and a corpulent of a cheerful look a pleasing eye and a most noble carriage and as i think his age some fifty or by our lady inclining to threescore and now i remember me his name is falstaff if that man should be lewdly given he deceiveth me for harry i see virtue in his looks if then the tree may be known by the fruit as the fruit by the tree then peremptorily i speak it there is virtue in that false staff him keep with the rest banish and tell me now thou naughty varlet tell me where hast thou been this month dost thou speak like a king do thou stand for me and i'll play my father depose me if thou dost it half so gravely so majestically both in word and matter hang me up by my heels for a rabbit sucker or a poulter's hair well here i am set and here i stand judge my masters now harry whence come you my noble lord from east cheap the complaints i hear of the are grievous Splud, my lord, they are false. Nay, I'll tickle ye for a young prince, ye faith. Swearest thou, ungracious boy? Henceforth ne'er look on me. Thou art violently carried away from grace. There is a devil haunts thee in the likeness of an old fat man. A ton of man is thy companion. Why dost thou converse with that trunk of humours, that bolting hutch of beastliness that swollen parcel of dropsies that huge bombard of sack that stuffed cloak-bag of guts that roasted manning-tree ox with the pudding in his belly that 
reverend vice, that grey iniquity, that father ruffian, that vanity in years? Wherein is he good but to taste sack and drink it? Wherein neat and cleanly but to carve a capon and eat it? Wherein cunning but in craft? Wherein crafty but in villainy? Wherein villainous but in all things? Wherein worthy but in nothing? I would your grace would take me with you. Who means your grace? That villainous, abominable misleader of youth, Falstaff, that old white-bearded Satan. My lord, the man I know? I know thou dost. But to say I know more harm in him than in myself, were to say more than I know. That he is old, the more the pity. His white hairs do witness it. But that he is, saving your reverence, a whoremaster, that I utterly deny. If sack and sugar be a fault, God help the wicked. If to be old and merry be a sin, then many an old host that I know is damned. If to be fat be to be hated, then Pharaoh's lean kine are to be loved. No, my good lord, banish Peto, banish Bardolph, <laughs> banish Poins, but for sweet Jack Falstaff, kind Jack Falstaff, true Jack Falstaff, valiant Jack Falstaff, and therefore more valiant, being as he is old Jack Falstaff. Banish not him, thy Harry's company. Banish not him, thy Harry's company. Banish plump Jack, and banish all the world. I do, I will. 2. When Prince Hal became king, 1413. Westminster, the palace, and the Warwick and the Lord Chief Justice meeting. How now, my Lord Chief Justice, whither away? How doth the king? Exceeding well. His cares are now all ended. I hope not dead. He's walked the way of nature, and to our purposes he lives no more. I would his majesty had called me with him. The service that I truly did his life hath left me open to all injuries. Indeed, I think the young king loves you not. I know he doth not, and do arm myself, to welcome the condition of the time, which cannot look more hideously upon me than I have drawn it in my fantasy. Enter Lancaster, Clarence, Gloucester, Westmoreland, and others. Here come the heavy issue of dead Harry. Oh, that the living Harry had the temper of him, the worst of these three gentlemen. How many nobles then should hold their places that must strike sail to spirits of vile sort? Oh, God, I fear all will be overturned. Good morrow, Cousin Warwick. Good morrow. Good morrow, Cousin. We meet like men that had forgot to speak. We do remember, but our argument is all too heavy to admit much talk. Well, 
Peace be with him that has made us heavy. Peace be with us, lest we be heavier. Oh, good my lord, you have lost a friend indeed, and I dare swear you borrow not that face of seeming sorrow. It is sure your own. Though no man be assured what grace to find, you stand in coldest expectation. I am the sorrier, would were otherwise. Well, you must now speak Sir John Falstaff fair, which swims against your stream of quality. Sweet princes, what I did, I did in honour, led by the impartial conduct of my soul, and never shall you see that I will beg a ragged and forestalled remission. If truth and upright innocency fail me, I'll to the king my master that is dead, and tell him who hath sent me after him. Here comes the prince. Enter King Henry V, attended. Good morrow, and God save your majesty. This new and gorgeous garment, majesty, sits not so easy on me as you think. Brothers, you mix your sadness with some fear. This is the English, not the Turkish court. Not Amarath and Amarath exceeds, but Harry, Harry. Yet be sad, good brothers, for by my faith it very well becomes you. Sorrow so royally in you appears that I will deeply put the fashion on and wear it in my heart. Why then, be sad, but entertain no more of it, good brothers, than a joint burden laid upon us all. For me, by heaven, I bid you be assured, I'll be your father and your brother too. Let me but bear your love, I'll bear your cares. Yet weep that Harry is dead, and so will I. But Harry lives, that shall convert those tears by number into hours of happiness. We, we hope, hope no other, other from your majesty. majesty. You all look strangely on me, and you most. You are, I think, assured I love you not. I am assured. If I be measured rightly, your majesty hath no just cause to hate me. No, how might a prince of my great hopes forget so great indignities you laid upon me? What, rate, rebuke, and roughly send to prison the immediate heir of England? Was this easy? May this be washed in leith and forgotten? I then did use the person of your father, the image of his power lay then in me, and in the administration of his law, whilst I was busy for the commonwealth, your Highness pleased to forget my place, the majesty and power of law and justice. The image of the king whom I presented, and struck me in my very seat of judgment, whereon, as an offender to your father, I gave bold way to my authority, and did commit you. If the deed were ill, be you contented, wearing now the garland, to have a son set your decrees at naught to pluck down justice from your awful bench, to trip the course of law and blunt the sword that guards the peace and safety of your person, nay, more to spurn at your most royal image and mock your workings in a second body. Question your royal thoughts, make the case yours. Be now the father and propose a son. Hear your own dignity so much profaned. See your most dreadful laws so loosely slighted. Behold yourself so, by a son disdained. And then, imagine me taking your part, and in your power soft-silencing your son. 
after this cold considerance, sentence me, and, as you are a king, speak in your state what I have done that misbecame my place, my person, or my liege's sovereignty. You are right, Justice, and you weigh this well. Therefore, still bear the balance in the sword, and I do wish your honours may increase till you do live to see a son of mine offend you and obey you as I did. So shall I live to speak my father's words. Happy am I that have a man so bold that dares do justice on my proper son, and not less happy having such a son that would deliver up his greatness so into the hands of justice. You did commit me, for which I do commit into your hand the unstained sword that you have used to bear, but this remembrance, that you use the same with the like bold, just, and impartial spirit as you have done against me. There is my hand. You shall be as a father to my youth. My voice shall sound as you do prompt mine ear, and I will stoop and humble mine intents to your well-practised wise directions. And, princes, all believe me, I beseech you, my father is gone wild into his grave, for in his tomb lie my affections, and with his spirit sadly I survive, to mock the expectation of the world, to frustrate prophecies, and to raise out rotten opinion, who hath written me down after my seeming. The tide of blood in me hath proudly flowed in vanity till now. Now doth it turn, and ebb back to the sea, where it shall mingle with the state of floods, and flow henceforth in formal majesty. Now call we our high court of Parliament, and let us choose such limbs of noble counsel, that the great body of our state may go in equal rank with the best-governed nation. That war, or peace, or both at once, may be as things acquainted and familiar to us, in which you, father, should have foremost hand. Our coronation done, we will recite, as I before remembered, all our state. And God consigning to my good intents, no prince, no peer shall have just cause to say, God shorten Harry's happy life one day. Exeunt. End of section 54. This recording is in the public domain.